Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Another one of those weekends in the SEC. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad and Richard Cross with you. We will get Richard here in a second, hopefully. Some technical difficulties over the weekend leading to some hopefully. problems as we... Yeah, I know, right? Uh, hopefully. I don't know if I actually... I mean, we just could... put the day off graphic up there and we'll just move on with our lives. We could spend the next three hours uh, talking about your Lakers winning the NBA championship. But I don't Let's think do that's it. what the people want to hear today. No, probably not. Congrats on that, by the way, though. Thank you very much, man. It was very, very enjoyable. Hearing downtown Los Angeles chanting Kobe over and over again was pretty cool. Yes. That was an enjoyable sports moment last night. But this weekend, not so much here in the state of Mississippi. A couple of losers, although the fan base feeling between Ole Miss and Mississippi State on this Monday afternoon is very, very different considering opponent and the way the two teams played if you're gonna lose you better be entertaining that's all it is two teams the exact same record they both take a loss but one fan base is thrilled couldn't be happier things are on the upswing the other fan base is what are we doing and where do we go from here so let's start there usually on these monday shows we do uh, we pick the winner first and if both win which you know lately hasn't been a, a common occurrence uh <laughs> We'll pick the uh, the biggest win. And on the loser side, it's if you have two losses, we'll decide which one's a bigger story. And I think this this afternoon, the bigger story is Mississippi State in Kentucky. Two points scored, and of course it was on a bad snap on a punt. Nothing that you can do offensively that gives you two points on their own. A Mike Leach offense. Historically bad showing for a Mike Leach offense. And... What's the reaction? I mean, we'll start just on the surface. What's the reaction today for Mississippi State fans? Mass hysteria would be the the reaction uh, that they're going for. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of eyebrows raised, a lot of shoulders being shrugged. Uh, people don't really know what to make of it. You know, when you look, especially at how well Mississippi State has played this year defensively, and the fact that you know. I mean, Michael, we talked before the season, right? If I told you after three weeks State was number 12 in total defense, what's their record? What are they ranked? Oh, they're undefeated. They're undefeated and probably in the top 10, right? Instead, they're 1-2, and two, and they're coming off back-to-back performances where they, they, they didn't do anything offensively, and they cannot stop turning the ball over. Uh, 11 turnovers now in three games. K.J. Costello with nine interceptions, three pick sixes. I looked it up today. Prior to this season, State had gone 30 games in a row without a pick six. And now it's it's three and three games. And really, it should have been four and three games. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of head-scratching going on here in Starkville about what's happening to this team offensively. How does it go from 
you can't be stopped to you can't do anything at all. Now we got a little bit of insight into that this weekend by watching Missouri LSU, and we saw that LSU's defense it's not good. It's it's just it's just not good. I mean, there's no. no other way to put it. But it's it's really something to watch. I mean, this isn't just a you know they've slowed down. It's like somebody put, pulled the emergency brake while you were going 90 miles an hour, and the car has just run off the road. KJ Costello in the game completed 36 passes for just 232 yards. Those four interceptions. Will Rogers added a couple more in his limited action. I mean. Kentucky basically did the same thing that Arkansas did. They have better personnel to be able to do it, but Kentucky really largely sent three guys, and Mike Leach mm-hmm. said after the game that um, three guys should not be getting pressure. That's a problem. Because hey, how do you beat the rush three drop eight? Well, you give yourself a lot of time, and eventually you can't cover for that long in the back end, no matter, no matter how many guys are back there. But if you're giving up pressure when they're only bringing three, well, then you're in big trouble. But Kentucky basically did the same thing. And uh, tell me if you see the same thing. It felt like to me, watching that game, that Costello, I don't know if it's a patience thing, but Kentucky was willing to give you five yards of completion. Just, you're not getting 50. We'll give you five, but you're not getting 50. And instead of taking that all night long, he seems to just force the football in places where it just doesn't belong. And it's kind of baffling from seemingly such a smart guy that he is so prone to making just... And one of them was, was off hands. It wasn't a great throw, but it did hit right. hands. Right. Uh, but baffling decisions all three games so far. He had he had two interceptions that just they don't make sense. Uh, the one where he just throws it up for grabs. There was actually a deep ball, one of the few that stayed through. The, the one that was returned down to the three-yard line, He's they're trying to set up a little bubble screen there, but it's covered up. You know They've got it covered up. There's no need. There, there's no going the, with that, that throw there. Instead, he throws it right into the hands of a defensive end who's just out there in coverage, and it nearly ends up being a touchdown uh, for, for Kentucky. It ends up being a touchdown three plays later. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know what to make of Costello. And people are, you know, obviously, if you if you look at MSU social media, there's a lot of, we've got to run the ball, we've got to run the ball. State threw the ball 70 times, right? But throw that number out. They had 45 completions. If State runs the ball 45 times for 270 yards, everybody's happy this morning, right? That's that's a great day at the, at the office. People have got to understand that they, the short passing game can work just as effectively as the run game. But it's what you just said. you got to be patient. And you've got to just take what the defense is giving you. Costello is not doing that. And then on top of that, he's just making just egregious mental errors, not only with, with his arm, but you think about the play where you know he, he could run and he, he's, got, it's, he's clearly going to get a first down if he just keeps running. But instead, he decides to throw the ball two yards past the line of scrimmage. And you know it's a penalty, and, and you just go from there. Just offensively, State did everything wrong from, from top to bottom, from Mike Leach to all of the players. Nothing good came of that game offensively, and they spoiled an incredible defensive effort. They st- How many teams will only give up 150 yards and lose by 22 points? It's crazy. Terry, Terry Wilson was 8 of 20 for 73 yards. I mean, if I told you that on, on, on Friday, you're thinking, oh, God, State dominated that game. No, it's 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 unbelievable what, what we've seen going from, from week one to week three. I just I don't ever remember a life comes at you fast moment like this. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's almost comical. I heard you use that phrase yesterday, hey Dad. Life comes at you fast on yeah. the uh, on the Thunder and Lightning podcast, and I thought that was an interesting way to uh, describe it. I don't. Yeah, it's uh, button Richard got Cross. pressed. 
Anyway, here we are. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. Thank you guys for getting started. I could hear everything you were saying. Michael Borky, there's only one thing he didn't tell you as we got started this afternoon, and that is the ceasefire text line is open. I was going to get there. 601. 879-4395, 6098794395. If you want to be part of the conversation, you know by now that that is absolutely the best way to do it. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com/business. Forky, you 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 did mess another thing up. I w- I was all set to Take a shot at Hey Dad, just right out of the gate, and it had absolutely nothing to do with college football. I was going to say there's a new NBA champion. In related news, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it actually make a sound? I think it is. So it was He's preliminary so numbers, and those will change, but around 60% down year over Ooh. year comparable game. I watched. I did they too, actually. Pres- and I, did, I didn't watch last year, so they were up in my household. There you go. There you go. I bet you would have watched last year if the uh, Lakers had been involved. Well, yeah, but they weren't, so I didn't. They weren't. Yeah, what a crazy weekend. And I think you guys set it up beautifully in terms of, uh, yes, both teams took an L this weekend. Both Mississippi State and Ole Miss fell to 1-2 and on the season, and yet the reaction's drastically different. I've had several conversations with people, and Borky, there is one word that everybody is using. Nobody's excited about, oh, you lost. But the word that I've heard over and over and over from people who were at the game, who were watching the game in Oxford but couldn't go to the game, who were watching the game in Jackson and didn't go to the game, who were in other parts of the country is, man, that was fun. And I think that goes to what Haydad said a second ago is, if, if, if you're not going to win, you better be putting an entertaining product on the field. There, there's so much to get to in terms of breaking both of these games down. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you specifically said this, but an insane number. And I think they alluded to it on the broadcast on, on Saturday night, or at least it attempted to. In the history of Mike Leach as a head coach, never before had there been a game where his team did not score an offensive point. Yeah, He's never been shut out. There are four previous games in his coaching tenure as a head coach at Texas Tech, and at Washington State, where his teams were held to a field goal. That had happened four times. They had never been offensively shut out. Yes, there were points on the board. It was because of a safety. That had never happened before. And it's not like there weren't some opportunities for Mississippi State to get some things going offensively. Some self-inflicted errors. Some mistakes. So much of the blame is being laid at the feet of K.J. Costello. And there is plenty of blame that deserves to go there. But it's not all. It's not total. It's not all K.J. Costello. There is virtually no blame that goes toward the defensive side of the ball for Mississippi State. None. We will unpack Bulldogs, Wildcats when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. 
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on this Monday afternoon. Good to be with you. You want to be a part of the conversation. As we said just a second ago, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Um, a bunch of questions, and, and we will unpack these as we go through the show. Who is Leach talking about with regard to a purge? Uh, Matt in Gulfport, can someone explain why our quarterbacks wouldn't run for the first down? We had multiple opportunities to run for a first down pretty much wide open and threw the ball away, including an illegal forward pass. Jason says it isn't just about Kentucky. It's now six of the last eight quarters that State hasn't scored a single point on offense. And another question, why are we having trouble implementing these simple but complex offensive strategies like the Chipotle and air raid strategies? What's Chipotle? It's a fast service Mexican chain. Chipotle. Yes, I'm. I'm I, or a I'm smoked aware. jalapeno. I don't really know. Yeah. Not sure how Chipotle yeah, figures into that as well. Lonnie says at least Southern Miss didn't lose. That is true. They did not lose this weekend. That is uh, that is correct. So let's um let's kind of walk through the game from Saturday night with uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky. Kentucky wins it twenty-four to two. Both teams needing a win. Kentucky in the worst of ways, coming in zero and two after losses on the road to Auburn and at home against Ole Miss, Mississippi State with a season-opening win against LSU, and then they lost at home last week to Arkansas. Um, I, I think all of the conversation is about the offense, and so before we do that, let's just talk about the defense for a second. Because sure. Mississippi State's defense allowed 24 points in the game. And... They gave up well, a total. Of. Yeah, but so you need to. There's, there's, there's some kind of to that. And there's a pick six in there. Uh, okay. And there's an, there's that, another interception that the ball gets placed at the three yard line, and they score a touchdown. I mean, there's only so much you can do there. In okay. Reality, that, that's like So in reality, in reality, the defense allowed ten points ten in the points. game. Yeah. They gave up seventy three yards passing. They gave up eighty four yards rushing held Kentucky to 2.6 yards per carry on the ground and 3.5 yards per attempt, 9 yards per completion. To borrow an old cliche, that dog will hunt. And that's the stat of the if you're on the defensive perspective is not necessarily holding Terry Wilson to a bad passing game because he'll have those. He's not the best passer in the world. Didn't have that against Ole Miss's defense, but that's an entirely different story. It's that experienced offensive line, and even without Cavassier Smoke, still a couple of really good running backs and a running yeah. quarterback having that number. Fred Peters was the leading tackler for Mississippi State. He had six. Bulldogs came up with a couple of sacks. They had six tackles for loss. They forced a fumble. Had a fumble recovery in the ball game. Had four pass breakups, three quarterback hurries in addition to the two sacks. Defense did everything you could ask of them to help you win a football game. And almost had another safety uh, that was overturned in the uh, in the first quarter, where Emmanuel Forbes uh, looked like got there right as the the catch was made and knocked it loose. Uh, ball goes into the end zone. It's recovered for a safety. State would have been up two nothing at that point, but it was reviewed and called an incomplete pass. Here's the um, here's the other thing. 
Well, and this is switching away from defense to offense. To me, the most staggering number in this game is 70 pass attempts for an average of just shy of four yards per attempt and just better than six yards per completion. 70 pass attempts in the game. 20, uh, I'm sorry, 14 rushing attempts. Mississippi State only attempted to run the ball 14 times. And I know we, uh, we throw balance out the window, and yes, there are parts of the passing game that supplement the running game. It, it, it's... I, I don't know. 20 yards rushing on 14 attempts, 275 yards passing on 70 attempts. I mean... I don't have a huge issue with it because if you don't throw six interceptions, you know how different is the game. I don't. The, I don't have a problem with the lack of, of of balance in terms of play calling. You know because if you, you see, I know four yards per completion is not great, or say I guess it's six, six yards per completion. If we're looking at it in terms of you're trying to you know run the short passing game, you're moving the sticks every two every two completions, so not a huge deal. The, the problem is the turnovers, and that's what I said on the podcast. I'll say it, it, you cannot turn the ball over six times. You cannot give up pick sixes, three straight games with a pick six. You, you just can't do that. You're never going to win. It doesn't matter how good you play defensively. It doesn't matter how good you play the rest of the game. If you give the ball away six times, six extra possessions, you're just going to lose. It's as simple as that. And I, I don't know how to correct that problem. I don't know if a quarterback change is the answer. I don't know what to do there. But I know that's the problem. If you could get rid of that problem, Mississippi State is at worst two and one, and probably three and zero. Especially the timing of the interceptions. Yeah. It wasn't just that they turned the football over; it's where they happened well, yeah, on your way the, in to score. The second interception, the one that comes off of Jaden Wally's hands, not a great throw, but he's throwing the ball where his receiver can get it, and it's away from the defender. And Wally just doesn't make the catch, and it goes up in the air and gets picked off. You catch that ball, it's 14-7 going into the locker room, and you're going to get the ball first. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? A lot of ifs and buts, and I hate playing that game, but when you turn the ball over six times, I mean, you just have you just have no chance to win. No chance no, whatsoever. No, you make a good point. Not all interceptions are created equally, and yet the lion's share of the blame is being placed in the lap of K.J. Costello. Is that where the majority of the blame should lie, or is there a bit of an overreaction to, oh, you've got to sit K.J. Costello, Will Rogers is the guy. Will Rogers threw 15 passes in this game, and two of them were picked off. Yeah. One of them, I don't think he should be credited with an interception. The, the play where he throws the ball to Osiris Mitchell, Mitchell catches it, and then the Kentucky defender basically strips him, but the ball never hits the ground. I thought that should have been called a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. I felt that was unfair to Rodgers, who you know threw the ball, and he caught it. It just got taken away from him. But you yeah. know, I guess because it never hit the ground, it's an interception, whatever. Um, but that with Costello, he's not right. Something's not right there. You don't go from throwing for 620. I don't care how bad LSU's defense is, which is it's obviously bad. But you threw for 623 yards, and you, you look like you were in complete command of the offense. And now, just watch the way he throws the ball. It's coming off of his back foot. There's not a lot of zip on his passes, as far as I can see. And he just doesn't look confident out there at all. I don't know if he's if he's hiding an injury, if he's hurt. I don't know if something – I don't know what's happened. If it's just the – the burden of I threw for 623 yards in my first start and now I've got to go do that every week, you know, mentally messing with I don't know what it is. But the guy who I saw against LSU and the guy who I saw Saturday against Kentucky, that's not the same two guys. It's just two different people. And I don't know what's happened there. 
Jeff says he thinks KJ Costello is either scared or hurt. Well, I, I, I mentioned that I, th- I thought he might be hurt. I don't I don't know if that's the case or not, but he just he doesn't seem to be right. Um, as far as being scared, I mean, I mean, is there anything that has happened in the first three games that is there a play you can point to where you go, oh, he took a big shot on that one, no. you know, and and he's not the same. I mean, it doesn't feel like there's anything you can point to there's through three like games. That for me. That, no, I mean, other than Steve? you're just kind of grasping at straws for a reason, right? I'm I'm just telling you that for him to look from the way he did against LSU to now, something is different. Something has to have happened between now and then. I don't know if it's mental or physical, but something's different. And 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 he's not he's not the same guy he was when he walked off the field at Tiger Stadium. There's one consistent. It's Arkansas and Kentucky played a bunch of guys in the back end of the defense and ran zone and LSU decided to run man the entire day. Oh yeah. And that's obviously the biggest difference, but at the at the end of the day if you continue, if you just continually complete passes in front of that zone, and you're moving the change, events eventually they will get out of it. And if you can run the ball a little bit more effectively, you know, state it's, it's not, they ran it 14 times, fine, but they weren't particularly effective in those 14 carries. You know, if you if you could get some big plays out of the running game, that would be one thing. The offensive line is bad; it's just playing really poorly. Rushing rushing three against five, you've got to be able to win those matchups, and state's just not doing it right now. Uh, and so. If, now, now we've got the two worst things you can possibly do on offense. You can't block, and you're turning the ball over. You might as well not even show up to the game at that point. You know you're not going to win. It's over before the game starts. Um, and then state, you know, just for whatever reason, and maybe part of it is because they can't protect, is they're not taking any trying to take any shots over the top of the zone. You know, in, in basketball with the zone defense, what do they say? Shoot out of it, right? You got to hit your three pointers, and they'll come out of that zone eventually. Same thing here. If, they, if state could hit a big play over the top. They're going to have to come out of that little short zone, but State can't do that for whatever reason. It's just a nightmare scenario right now. Nothing is working for MSU offensively. Everything is magnified when you lose a game. It's magnified even more when you lose a game, and it's in kind of an ugly fashion. And so there were a lot of ears that were on Mike Leach's post-game press conference on Saturday night. He's talked again, I guess, to the media earlier today or maybe just finished up with that a little bit. We're going to let you hear some of what Mike Leach had to say. There's one comment in particular that has kind of gotten, uh, it made, given people some, some rabbit ears that have really grabbed their attention, and that's the comment about purging. We'll get to those when we come back, and we'll see if we can make sense of some of what he said and if there was anything wrong with what Mike Leach said after the game. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Let's go to the uh, the post-game press conference, which was a, uh, a Zoom call on Saturday night. Mississippi State and Kentucky, Mike Leach talking about all the things that uh, that happened. And the quote that, that has gotten the most attention has been the quote that he made about perhaps the need for a purge on this particular roster. Here's what he said. Right now, it you know, it looked uh, a lot like our, our first game, except not as sloppy. You know, we're we're not as sloppy in practice as we were the first game, but you know, we um, uh, 
you know, the thing is, is I think we've got a series of overcorrections and we're going to, the other thing is, is I, I think we're going to have to kind of check some of our group and figure out who really wants to play the, the play here. Cause you know, um, any malcontents, we're going to have to purge a couple of those. Hey dad, that's, that's, Kind of the money quote that so many people have gravitated toward, and they want to know, okay, well, who's he talking about? Who's the malcontent? And and people want to play the guessing game. This is this is not uncommon when a new coach takes over a program that for for one reason or another, you have certain players who don't buy in, don't fit, don't like what's different, what, what whatever the particular reason is. And you usually see some roster attrition. Some of that happened before the season began. But there also wasn't a spring practice for some people to actually see how they fit or don't fit in this new offensive scheme and didn't go through a practice with this particular, a set of practices with this particular coaching staff. And so to me, the fact that some of this is happening in season is not just incredibly surprising no but it's turned into a bunch of people on message boards saying that you know you're gonna wake up tomorrow and 15 guys are gonna get kicked off the team in the middle of a pandemic so, so the state could you know possibly have you know, 50 scholarship players it's just dumb uh leach uh, addressed it again today basically basically his first sentence was the same as what you said richard this happens anytime you take over a new program and his comment was basically, you know, I've been through a number of these transitions, and what, like you said, players think they're going to wait and see, and, you know, I want to see how it, where it goes. He says the train's rolling on. You can get on or get left, basically. Um, I don't think that means we're going to wake up tomorrow and, and Kylan Hill's not going to be on the football team tomorrow, which is a, a very popular message board theme right now. Um, but I do think that, yeah, at the end of the season, some guys are going to jet. You know, there are guys who don't fit what Mike Leach wants to do. There are guys who aren't getting playing time. It happens every year. There might be a little bit more than usual, and State might have to hit the transfer portal up for some guys. But to the thought that State's going to purge its roster after week three in the middle of a pandemic where at any moment you could you could have ten guys out because of COVID and now you can't play a game, it's just foolishness. People need to calm down on that one. You mentioned Kylan Hill. Mike Leach was asked about Kylan Hill post game on Saturday night, and here's what he said. Well, he wasn't very much a one tonight. I, you know, I thought that, uh, um, you know, he's got some talent and ability, um, but, you know, we're, we're going to have to see. I thought that we could have gotten more out of several of those. You know, for one, I think at times we could have thrown it downfield, too. I thought he could have gotten more on some of them, too. Kylan Hill had 22 touches in the game. He carried the ball seven times for 17 yards. The longest carry he had was four yards. So those are not very Kylan Hill-like numbers. He did have 15 catches. He was the leading receiver by nine receptions. Next closest was Malik Heath with six catches in the game, but 15 catches netted only 79 yards. The longest reception he had in the game was 12 yards. We, we talked after the LSU game about what a weapon he was because he was getting the ball in the open field and then was making things happen. That was, as has been well documented, against a man-to-man defense that Bo Pelini never really got out of. It has been different against zone defenses the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I would have thought you told me Kylan Hill's going to have 22 touches. He's probably going to be around 150 yards or so plus. 
And and the difference is, you know, if you go back and watch the LSU game, he's catching that ball. The ball is out in front of him. He's in stride. He's set to just start going forward. Now he's catching the ball. His back is to the defense. He's having to stop and come back for passes because of the way teams are defending Mississippi State, and it's just ineffective. Uh, so State's got to find some different ways to do that. And then in the running game, I mean – it feels like there's just not a lot of variety. It's it's either a delayed handoff or a draw. There's not any plays where Kylan Hill can just build up a head of steam and be at the line of scrimmage running close to full speed. It, he's limited there for sure. But what State's doing with him in the passing game, they've got to find a way to get him the ball in space where he can simply turn up field and get moving, not have to do a complete 180 to turn around. And then by that time, there's a couple of tacklers to him. Didn't you find that quote interesting, though? I mean, maybe I'm reading too far into it, but that was in the same press conference. He's talking about malcontents and people that really want to be here. And he calls into question, because that's what that is, the desire of his running back to get more yards. That's what that was, was we could have gotten more and and we didn't. And so we'll see. That, that's, I mean, look, and that doesn't mean he's kicking him off the team or anything like that, but that was a coach that was displeased with effort. I think that's. I mean, I think that's fair because. I mean, but I, but I also think he said, like he said, it was like everybody else. I think he was he was questioning everybody's effort on the offensive side of the ball, and he should. They played poorly. Uh, they, they they did not play well. So I don't feel like he's singling out Kylan Hill. But since the question was about Kylan Hill, he sort of had to go there with it. Yeah, you alluded to message boards a second ago. I've seen this. Greg mentions it as well. He says, "Yeah, in every other play, Kylan Hill was waving his hand, saying, take me out,' or, or tapping his helmet to come out of the game. Is that overblown, or was that happening?" He t- he texted or he put on Facebook or Twitter, Twitter or something. I don't know where it was, but basically, he's like, "Y'all think I'm hurt? Can a guy not cramp? He had a cramp, evidently. He was he, he was a couple of times. Yeah, he was he was tapping the helmet, trying to come out." But he also, like, he's, like you said, he touched the ball more than anybody else. He had 22 touches. So it's not like they're not trying to get him the ball, and it's not like he's not there. You know, uh, D- Dylan Johnson barely played in this game because Kylan Hill was able to stay in and stay healthy. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's overblown as usual. For whatever, I think, well, for some fans, it's not, not it's like a small percentage. Some fans just don't like Kylan Hill because of what happened this summer. But there's always been sort of this perception of him as, you know, he, he comes out too much. And then it, He's one of those guys who'll come out for a play, and then he'll come right back in and run four or five plays, and then he comes out for a play. And for whatever reason, people assume that he's injury-prone or, or you know, he's a drama queen or whatever. I, I don't buy into it myself, but that's that's the perception of him. You know, one of the, the maxims in college football is that the uh, the backup quarterback is the most popular guy on the roster. I mean, that that's not always the case, but people say that, especially when things are not going well. In this particular case, is it a function of the news that came out of fall camp that Will Rogers was really looking good combined with the fact that K.J. Costello has performed below the expectations that were set based on his first game that have people clamoring for Will Rogers to be the quarterback? I think it's less about what you heard from about Will in the summer and what K.J.'s done on the field. He's thrown nine picks. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I don't really care what I heard about the backup quarterback in the summer. If the starting quarterback's thrown nine picks in three games, I, I, I'm willing to give the backup a look. Uh, for Rodgers, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't completely overwhelmed by him, but at the same time, you know, that's just maybe just a function of how everything went for State on, on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, today at the press conference, uh, Leach said that, you know, was asked straight up if, if Costello would start, and he said, we'll see. Talked about competition again. 
So I won't be totally surprised. And what a unbelievable 180 that is to go from, you know, think about everything that K.J. Costello did in week one. He won every individual award there is to win for college football. He was the talk of college football. Jumped up in the Heisman. I hope nobody put any money on him as a Heisman candidate. Um, all of that. And now in week four, ah, he might not start. Don't know that I've ever seen uh, something like that before in college football. Mike Leach is one of those guys, maybe not to the level of Steve Spurrier, but he has never been afraid to go to his backup quarterback, even in terms of starting a game. I mean, I think specifically about Luke Falk at yeah. uh, at Washington State. There was a point where he pulled Luke Falk. Luke Falk went on to play in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he's he, not he, afraid to do that if he thinks it's the right decision. Right. So I would, I, I would hope... You know, if KJ Costello has a good week of practice, I expect to see him start. But if he if he doesn't look good this week, I don't think Mike Leach is going to be afraid to make that change and go to Will Rogers. Yeah, and it will be Will Rogers, no matter what people think with Garrett Schrader. Yeah, that that has emerged as well. No, oh, that's that's, and honestly, and I talked about this on the podcast. That's the easy short term solution, isn't it? You you want to rush three and drop eight, put Schrader in there, let him start running for five ten yards every play. That'll stop pretty quick. But that's not going to happen. Because of what the offense is, right? Well, I don't know if that's the I mean, cause could, could Schrader be any worse than Costello has been the past couple weeks? I don't think so. But, yeah, the offense isn't designed to, to do that with a running quarterback. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. So much to get to. Three hours, not enough on this Monday afternoon. We will be right back. We made our picks on Friday once again. Death, taxes, and Brian Haydad in third place in the picks contest. Um, got that Michael Kentucky Borky game right, and I. Though. Say what? I got the Kentucky game right, thanks to my trusty coin right here. You were correct. You did. So, Florida was a six-point favorite against Texas A&M. They lost. LSU was a 14-point favorite against Missouri. They lost. South Carolina easily covered the 13-and-a-half against Vanderbilt, winning that game 41-to-7. Georgia was a 12-and-a-half point favorite against Tennessee. That was close for a while until it wasn't close anymore. And uh, Georgia covered that one with ease when it was all said and done. Auburn was a 14-point favorite against Arkansas. They won... Controversy in that game related to the guys in striped shirts. No. So Auburn wins, but they do not cover. What? SEC officials blew the end of a game that cost Arkansas a two and one record. Hey, hey. We've got winners and losers coming up. Let's save it. You know, you know. That's I would on my like list. to spend more time on it though, because their statement does say that there was an there was not an immediate recovery, and it depends on what player you're looking at. Because the guy that recovered the football did not stop. He went immediately to the football. But the Auburn player just kind of stood around for a second until he realized that, oh, maybe I should dive all this, and then dove on it. So does it require all 22 men on the field to act like the ball was fumbled for it to be a clear and immediate recovery? Because Arkansas player clearly, immediately, went to recover the football. Speaking of officials... The back judge in the Ole Miss-Alabama game. 
We don't even have to debate the legitimacy of the four calls that he made. But the man has an arm. He threw four flags. I'm going to guess a combined 85 yards in the game. Four flags that traveled 85 yards. Got any eligibility left? There is no. Uh, he actually played college football at Tulane. Is it is it Patrick Ramsey? No, not Patrick Ramsey. Um, I mean, there was no pull the flag and throw it in the general direction. It was I want to try and drop it on a dime where I think the penalty happened. Yeah, we don't have to get into those. There's one instance in that game in particular. I don't know if you saw it from your vantage point, but an Alabama player very clearly shoved an official. It no, I didn't see that. It absolutely happened. I'll find the cut for you and send it to you so you can see it. It's not much, and I'm glad he didn't get kicked out of the game because it's not much, but the letter of the rule says what he did should have gotten him ejected. Very clearly, left arm, sho- an official was trying to break up a little scuffle. And the player very clearly, with his left arm, shoved the official's arms away from him. Shoved him. Front and center on TV. I mean, that's the only thing you saw. And he didn't get kicked out. He should have and could have and didn't. Uh, Alabama was a 23.5-point favorite over Ole Miss. They did not cover in the ballgame, winning it by 15. And Kentucky was a three-point favorite over Mississippi State. They covered with ease, winning that game by 22. And so... The dumb pick for me was Vanderbilt. I, I, come on, Richard. I mean, anything to believe in Vanderbilt, regardless of the spread, regardless of who they're playing. So that was dumb. I went three and four for the season. I'm now eleven and ten. Borky went three and four for the season. He is now nine and twelve. And Haydad went two and five thanks to a coin flip. Didn't actually pick a game, just flipped a coin. And for the season, Brian Haydad is 6 and 15. Coin flip is 1 and 0. I may flip a coin on all of them next week. Well, couldn't couldn't do any worse, my friend. Couldn't do any worse. How do you like your steak? That's that's all I need to know. Yeah. Well, uh hey, a lot of, a lot of games left. We're we're only 3 weeks into this. We got to go through uh what, 8 more weeks? Eight, nine more weeks of the regular season to get to uh, to ten games, and then we'll have the SEC championship game when it's uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, quick, quick thought on any of these games uh, before we uh, we wrap up this uh, this three o'clock hour. We've got winners and losers coming up. Then we'll dive into Ole Miss and Alabama. So um, the Hogs should be two and one. They should be. They should. Be. I thought it was a. That's all of a sudden a pretty entertaining game this Saturday with Ole Miss and Arkansas. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that game. They're still lacking in personnel, but mm-hmm. they are clearly. They believe. Yes. They bought into their guy. Barry yeah. Odom is very good at what he does. Kendall Bryles is good at what he does. They're undermanned, but those kids play hard. They fight. They fight hard. So we'll see how it goes. Three, three weeks in for a year where we weren't sure about quarterback play going into the season, quarterback play in the SEC has been really good. Really, really good. Mac Jones, outstanding at Alabama. Mac Corral's been great. Stetson Bennett continues to be steady. Basilak at Missouri looks like a uh, fun young star. 
Kellen Mond, pretty good for Texas A&M, especially in the second half of that game against Florida. Kyle Trask has been great. Fort Stock, Mississippi. Winners and losers coming up next. You can send us your winners and losers on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Remember, at C Spire, you don't have to wait for the next phone to come out to get the phone you really want. If you're looking for an iPhone, you can get $100 off at your local C Spire store. I'm not just telling you that because that's what the uh, the copy on the, the live read says. I'm telling you that because about two hours ago, eh, three hours ago, I walked into the local C Spire store in Oxford. My wife needed a new phone. I said, here's what we would like to get. Bam, $100 off. So save some money, got her a new phone, all set to go. It's that simple. You can do it online at cspire.com, or you can visit your local C Spire store. They are spread out all over the state of Mississippi. It's Monday. It's just after 4 o'clock. That means it can only be time for winners and losers. All I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All righty. Let's start with winners. Michael Borky, lead us off. Probably flew under the radar around here considering the times of the games, but how about Clemson? Miami coming to their house as a top 10 team, and they asserted their dominance in the ACC. That's not really a whole lot to write home about, but 42-17 was the final. Held De'Eric King to 120 yards passing, and Miami had 89 yards rushing in total for the game. Trevor Lawrence was great. ETN was great. But their backup, DJ Ugagalele, whoever, mm-hmm. um, have you seen this kid in uniform? He's not small. They cloned Cam Newton. Seriously. Trevor Lawrence's heir apparent is a giant, and he can run. They let him do it a couple of times late in the game. My goodness. He's 6'5", 250, and he can move. It's unbelievable the the factory they've built, and and they dominated on Saturday night. You didn't get to see it. That guy has a, a howitzer on his right arm. He throws the ball a long, long way. So they're going nowhere. is he nowhere. accurate? <laughs> I don't know, but you figure it out, man. I'm sure, I'm sure he is. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. Whew. You know, I don't really care how bad LSU is. How can you not pick Missouri and what they did on Saturday? What an impressive win. Uh, and especially, you know, say what you want. You know, LSU bad defensively. LSU's got the ball on the one-yard line with four chances to get in and couldn't do it. That's a great win for, for them, and especially now that I'm sure we'll mention it later in the show, going a little more depth, but their game has been canceled this weekend with Vanderbilt. But Missouri got a huge boost to that program. That's the kind of win that, you know, for a first-year coach. And Pittman got it last week with Mississippi State, and now with LSU, Drinkwitz has it. So just a uh, just a really, really impressive performance for me. Yep, COVID issues for Vanderbilt. And, boy, that's a bummer for Missouri. That's not the game that you want to uh, get postponed. Although, tentatively, they are rescheduling that game for the 12th of December. So uh, we'll see when that one shakes out. Uh, Phil Longo is a winner. Look North at this. Carolina. Hey, B- Borky said on Friday that North Carolina was the most overrated top ten team in the history of college football. Still think that. Virginia Maybe Tech so. had like twenty five dudes out with COVID and contact tracing. So okay. 
North Carolina offensively scored 56 points in the game. Put 56 on the board. We know Sam Howell is good. They've got a pair of receivers that are probably as good as any in the country at, uh, at North Carolina. Sam Howell goes 18 of 23, 257 yards. So when you think of that many points, you don't necessarily think that it's um, going to be a sub-300-yard passing game. But that's exactly what it was. North Carolina ran it for 399 yards in addition to throwing for 257 in the, uh, in the win. So uh, Phil Longo and his offense at North Carolina on the winner's list is Carolina is, what, at number six nationally now? Moved up a couple of spots after the win. I, I'll give you one more winner. Actually, i got two more to throw at you quickly. Kenny Yaboa. If there is a better pickup in terms of a transfer in the offseason than Kenny Yaboa, I don't know exactly what it is. Who it is? There may very well be, but he has paid massive dividends for Ole Miss. He is a mismatch nightmare. He is playing himself into the conversation to be taken as a uh, kind of a hybrid tight end in the NFL draft. He's got great hands and he can run. And on Saturday night against Alabama, Kenny Yaboa had seven catches for 181 yards and two touchdowns in the ballgame. So pretty good night for Kenny Yaboa, and that was a massive pickup for Ole Miss in the offseason. And then the last one I'll throw at you, all the teams that got new coaches in the offseason. Eli Drinkwitz gets a win against LSU. That's his first. Sam Pittman got his first at Arkansas last week. Ole Miss got their first last week under Lane Kiffin. And obviously Mike Leach and Mississippi State got one in week one against LSU. So to varying degrees, I would think that all four schools are happy with the hires they made in the offseason, perhaps three of the four more happy currently than, than Mississippi State. But, I mean, look, if you rewind three weeks, there wasn't anybody in America that was more happy with their head coach than Mississippi State was with Mike Leach. So a bit of a roller coaster, up and down. It, 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 life comes at you fast, right, Hey, Dad? It's kind of funny that in terms of fan perception, Fans would probably be happier right now if State was 0-3. And you could just say, well, talking about that first year, Mike Leach, can't, it's going to be tough to figure it out. But what he did week one elevated expectations to a level that now it's almost unsustainable. Borky, you got another winner? Yeah, Fitzmagic. Everybody's calling That's for Tua call. to replace him in Miami. Everybody wants to see Tua, and he goes out. Flies across the country and absolutely smoked the 49ers yesterday. Threw for 350 on just six incompletions. He is still producing in the NFL uh, with that gigantic beard of his. Didn't didn't they pull Jimmy G? Yeah, at halftime. He I was mean, that bad. He didn't. That's but a he Did not look healthy at all. Oh, I know. They rushed know, him but... back. Another winner. If not, hey, Dad, I've got a loser, and I know everybody else does as well. Go right ahead. I am a loser. Well, yeah, but... But but a specific incident. Almost 40-year-old Richard performing like nearly 90-year-old Richard. So it was raining on Saturday, obviously, and we were at uh, my in-law's house, and there was kind of at the back part of the house behind it, there's a drain that had gotten clogged up like one of those big metal grate drains 
that had debris and leaves and mud and junk, and so water was piling up in the drainage area. So I was going to go outside and grab a rake or a shovel or something and kind of clean that out. It's kind of getting to the point in the day where I needed to be hustling along to get back to town, to get to the ball field, all of those things. And I had uh, I had boots on, like rubber boots on, and I was quickly going down the stairs while it was raining almost sideways that point, had my feet go out from under me on a slick spot on the stairs, land on my rear end and back, and tried to kind of reach out and brace myself in the process of falling, and somehow got my thumb stuck against one of the, uh, whatever, the, the handrail, the like the posts that go from the stairs up to the handrail, bent it back. I'm convinced that probably tore a ligament or something in my thumb. It's swollen up like nobody's business, and I just laid there for a second like, you idiot, you absolute idiot. At least you've got something for winners and losers because you're a loser. God, it hurt. Hey, it looks like I got road rash on my forearm where I fell and hit the stairs. I mean, it was it was it was beautiful. You would have laughed at me, hey, Dad. I'm, I'm quite sure. I, I'm laughing at you now. I think I handled it better than you would have, but you would have laughed at me. What are you trying to say that, I, that I'm that I'm, that I'm weak? No, no. I'm just saying that I was more graceful in that fall than perhaps you would have oh, been. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're getting at. I got cat-like yeah. reflexes for a big man. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. We can recreate it if you want to try. <laughs> no, I'm good without the pain. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, Give me a loser. Loser is not the right word here. But, I mean, what happened to Dak Prescott is just awful. Oh. Uh, just just a brutal, brutal so injury. so bad. I don't, you know, the outpouring of, of support for him on social media, not just Mississippi State people, but the entire NFL uh, was really something to, to behold. I, I went looking for a specific tweet, and I found it, and Nick Fitzgerald did tweet at Dak and say, hey, I got through it. You, I know you will, too. Because, I mean, that's they basically had the same injury. Their ankle got turned completely around. Um, I'm sure he'll be he'll come back and be strong. But, you know, in a year where, gosh, he signed that, that tender offer and he doesn't have the long-term deal yet, not not great. Not what you wanted to see. So, uh, obviously, best wishes to Dak. Hopefully, he'll come back stronger than ever. Get that big contract and keep on. It, it was. I mean, he was having such a great year too. Because that's the that's the worst part. He was he was about to break some records, but is what it is. Winner loser. I don't know where this goes. Did you guys see a picture of the sign in Athens over the weekend? No. Hey, Cade Mad. Hey, Cade Mays. We've got an extra finger for your dad. <laughs> With a middle finger sticking straight up in the air. That was brutal. I like that. Funny. That's good. Funny, but brutal. All right. We'll get to uh, some of your winners and losers from the weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi continuing winners and losers on this Monday afternoon. What did you like from the weekend? What did you not like from the weekend? You can send them to us on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Any other losers that you guys wanted to throw in before we jump to the uh, C Spire text line? Oh, there's plenty. And we alluded to it earlier, but SEC officials, the end of that Auburn Arkansas game was completely botched. Uh they took a win away from Arkansas that should have been given to them. And the explanation I don't think was good enough. So SEC refs, big-time losers here. 
the NFL is is one for me because we're starting to see you know a lot of more COVID issues with them, and they did not build their schedule in a way to take that into account. And now they're having to move way too much around. You know, the SEC. Michael tweet, tweeted this earlier. He's exactly right. The SEC is going to lose a game this weekend, but they scheduled in a way that they're going to be able to make that work. The NFL did not. I mean, why they didn't just add a couple of weeks on to the end of the regular season or something, anything? They didn't do it, and now it's going to end up biting them. The Big Twelve. Yeah. The, yeah. the the Red River Showdown, I think that's what they call it now, rivalry, whatever it is, Texas OU, uh, produced plenty of drama. OU was ahead, Texas was ahead, OU was ahead, Texas came back, goes to overtime, both teams' opportunities to win it, and ultimately it was Oklahoma that won it in the fourth overtime. I mean, there's a college kicker's element to this, but I'm going to say bigger picture Big 12 because now the, not the best, the only shot for a playoff berth for the Big 12 is Oklahoma State, I think. I mean, you could make an argument for Iowa State, but are you going to put a team in the college football playoff that has a loss to a Sunbelt squad on its resume? Yeah. Not when the other one-loss teams are going to be those to conference opponents. And so the Big 12 needs Oklahoma State to run the table. Yeah. And is there anything about Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State through history that makes you believe that they're not going to have a stumble somewhere along the way? Maybe they don't. Maybe this is the year that they run through it and they're part of the Final Four. Right now, it doesn't look great for the Big 12 in terms of finding themselves in the college football playoff. That said, winner Gus Johnson, incredible on the commentary in that game. When he said when he said about Sam Ellinger, when he said hero, leader, Texan, I was like, print the shirts, as a friend of mine said. It, yes, and, and he had a couple of those where it was like after. Oh, he was, he, he shanked it! College football! I, I was loving every second of it, I promise. The, the morning window, the morning Fox window Sports. of game Saturday was incredible. LSU, Missouri, Florida, Texas A and M, and Texas Oklahoma, great games. I was I was in heaven. All righty, let's get to uh, your winners and losers on the ceasefire text line. Loser of the week: the air raid scoring two points. Not to pick nits, but the air raid didn't score those two points. Yeah. Um. Loser, KJ Costello, going to have to learn against a three-man line to pull it down sometimes and gain some yards with his legs to keep the defense honest. Good luck. Loser, Todd Grantham gave up a lot of points. That Florida defense has been, whew. I thought that, you know, Ole Miss, the Ole Miss game, well, you know, Florida's in control. They're just giving up garbage yards here. no. Florida's defense is the garbage. They're not good. It might be time to start looking at Texas A&M differently, though. Yes, I was wrong about Texas A&M. They played really, really well. Yeah. And really, at times, played well against Alabama. They did. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're right. Turn you're the right. ball over really kept them out of really competing in that game. But offensively, they moved the football. Look, Florida's defense isn't great. Alabama's just gave up 380 and 270 to Ole Miss. But that's a Texas A&M team that's going to be right there. Their schedule sets up nicely for them, too. I'll tell you what. There's going to be three new defensive coordinators at big-time jobs this offseason. Alabama. Florida and LSU are all going to have different defensive coordinators. I wonder how how high on the list Zach Arnett will be on some of those. Hmm. Jamie in Oxford says the back judge in the Ole Miss-Alabama game was a loser. You just said he was a winner. No, I just said he had a big arm. Okay. He, He made four calls, and I think three of them... Watching the replay, so the the... Defensive pass interference call that he called. Um, the issue that I had with that was not so much that he called defensive pass interference, but I, I equated it on the broadcast on Saturday night to the basketball official who waits to see if a shot goes in or not before he blows his whistle to call a foul. The the play was was over. And then here you go from 30 yards back. Boom. Penalty flag comes in. The one that bothered me though, where it was, well, there there were there were two. There was kind of an illegal pick play. They called it a a blindside block on Elijah Moore. That was no more of a blindside block than you know Borky pushing a pencil across the desk. I guess by letter of the rule, maybe that's what it was. Because there was contact, but Elijah Moore bumped a guy. I mean, it was like a more like a rub. It wasn't one of those crackback D cleater plays. You got the penalty there, and then there was one where they called blocking downfield on a pass that was behind the line of scrimmage. I was standing four feet from the back judge when he threw that flag from underneath the goalpost. There's no possible way that he could have known that the ball was thrown behind the line of scrimmage when he threw the flag that uh, ultimately was on Kenny Yubo. Uh So that was from Jamie in Oxford. Stuart Landscape says, uh, Matt Corral for his incredible start to the season. Winner? Loser? Matt Luke and Rich Rod for missing on Corral. Jason says, the only loser I have is Vanderbilt. How in the blue heck do you barely have enough players for last week? Play anyway, then more cases and quarantines. Have they now endangered South Carolina season two? That's infuriating. They played because they didn't have a choice, really. Like the result would have been any different. That, too. I mean, they probably shouldn't have. I said this on Twitter. When you're down to 56 players, and most of which are in COVID quarantine, you probably just shouldn't play the game. Having that few amount of players is kind of dangerous in and of itself. And then on top of why you're down to that few players, maybe shouldn't have played on Saturday either. But... um, it's tough, man. I, I honestly I feel bad for Derek Mason and I feel bad for the kids. Because they're not going to be competitive a single Saturday. And they go out there and they're going to get smoked and they're undermanned athletically and they're undermanned numbers wise. And they're going to get smoked every single freaking week. It sucks. I, I, I hate it for them, honestly. Winner Rafael Nadal. 20th major championship win. He got the French Open over the weekend. Um, 
winner, Kentucky's turnover ratio. Call. Richard seems to have a bunch in common with Cade May's dad. Time to sue your in-laws. <laughs> I didn't lose my thumb. I just kind of, yeah, don't think so. Uh, winner, Hugh Freeze. Liberty is 4-0. Loser. Anybody that said anything about him on Twitter? A friend of mine got hit up by that. She just like, uh, recently, yeah. When when uh, when Jay Hobson left USM, she said something about she's a USM alum. She said, "I would not want to see Hugh Freeze as the head coach at USM." He DM'd her. I was just like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Uh, John in Oxford says, "Loser, Mississippi State's offensive line. They were embarrassingly bad Saturday." Hey, Dad, that's a group that you thought was going to be pretty yeah. solid coming in. They are not. The, the middle of the line, but Charles Cross didn't have a great game either. Uh, they just not playing well, not playing well. And I don't. It goes back to what I said. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to fix it. They're not paying me to do it, but they got to fix it. Uh, another winner, Zach Arnett. Yeah, he's good. Especially since Haydad said the defense would be the weak link for MSU this year. <laughs> said on the podcast, I've never been more wrong about a prediction in my life than how backwards I had things for this football team. Well, it should be, though. That's why it's such a great coaching I know. Job. Yeah. He, that guy is is a short... He, he is a... He's a Jeff Collins type. He'll be a, a high-level DC somewhere very soon, and then he'll be a head coach somewhere. Speaking of that, yeah, Jeff Collins, should we put him on the... That's turning around in, in, in Atlanta. That program's going to turn around. He's got him on the right path. Georgia Tech got the uh, win on Friday night. Put up a bunch yeah. of points. Fun to watch. Yeah. Swag we were wrong on uh, that pick on the um, Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Had a couple Somebody of options. Said you cost them a C note. Oh, my bad. My apologies. All right, we'll dive into Ole Miss and Alabama when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Monday. An absolute track meet at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium on Saturday. We spent so much time talking about weather last week leading up to this game in particular. You know, you had the uh, the LSU-Missouri game moved to Columbia. Probably would have been okay in hindsight to have played that game in Baton Rouge, but, you know, you make the best decision you can with the information you've got at the time. The movement of the start time of Ole Miss Alabama back 90 minutes was met with eye rolls, specifically from Michael Borky, about this being more of a television move than a uh, a weather and playability move. And Turns out it they, they nailed it on the timing. Yeah, because they got a better time slot for television. Well, I mean, they may have ended up with a better time better slot. better than five. No, no, I agree. I don't disagree with that, but I'm talking about in terms of the weather. It rained on and off. Not, I don't think it rained as much as anybody thought it was going to, but on and off, really up until about kickoff, probably stopped, I don't know, half an hour or so before kickoff, and um, then rained a little bit. It was like one of those heavy mists for about half of the first quarter, and then it stopped and didn't rain for the rest of the game. rained a little bit after the game. But the conditions were spectacular. I would add to our winners list the, the grounds crew that did the work at Vault Hemingway Stadium. That field held up beautifully. 
It was never an issue. And even after the game was over, really was not in that bad of shape. So big tip of the cap to those guys. They deserve to be on the winner's list for uh, uh, all the rain that we got in the 24 to 36 hours leading up to the game. And the, uh, the field was spectacular. So weather turned out not to be an issue. Defense was an issue. I actually want to ask you guys a question, though. There are a lot of people going, I mean, you know, defense was a disaster for Ole Miss. Don't you think there are a lot of people associated, and, and it was, not arguing whatsoever. I, I think, I'd have to go back and look at the drive chart, Alabama had 13 possessions in the game. Maybe it's 12. It's 11. 11 total possessions? Mm-hmm. I saw, there's a, you see that crazy stat going around about yeah. expected yards? Yeah, but it was it was nine touchdowns on eleven possessions, correct? Right, correct. Yeah, yeah, nine touchdowns on eleven possessions. One of them would have been a touchdown if not for the first fumble of the entire career of Najee Harris, and there was one punt for Alabama in the game. They, they gained. They only missed forty yards that they could have gained the entire night. <laughs> it's That's insane. insane stat. But but it, that it really said, is. but that said, don't have. I mean, don't just put it all on Ole Miss's defense. Alabama's defense was atrocious as well. That's where I was going with that as well. I would yeah, think that yeah. there's some people related to Alabama that go, what the heck were they doing? Oh. They got still... lit up. Yeah, but and there was an SEC short today that was funny. I, I thought it was hilarious, actually. They've done a really good job this season. Last year was kind of a dud. But the, the sign-stealing thing, and people have already texted in about it, I thought that was absurd. It when, is. instead of your immediate reaction being, well, Alabama's defense is bad, and maybe it's not as good as it was five years ago or whatever, but when are you, when is anybody going to start giving credit to maybe, just maybe, Ole Miss is a very good offensive-minded head coach, a play caller in Jeff Lebby, who had the number two offense in college football at UCF last year, a quarterback that's really talented, a wide receiver that's really talented, a tight end that's really talented, and a pair of running backs that... At Lindy's had rated the 12th running back room in the SEC. Well, that's garbage. I mean, <laughs> at, at some point, when can it not be Alabama's defense sucked and not, hey, it, Ole Miss has got a possible? pretty damn good offense. It's, it's, it's both. Alabama's offense is very good. Ole Miss's offense is very good. Oh, Alabama's defense, not as good. Ole Miss's defense is historically bad. Yeah. When you combine those things, you get 1,300 yards and 120 points. It was glorious. Is it possible that Nick Saban, who never really tells a joke, was actually kind of being funny or attempting to be funny in his post games. Like, I don't know, maybe they had our signs or something. Well, the Dylan Moses thing is the only counter I'd, I'd throw at you about that. Is Dylan Moses saying that he definitely thinks they had their signals? That's when you're like, oh, okay, all right. Did you see the pace at which Ole Miss played in the first half? Even if you had every signal they had, those it was happening so fast, it's not like you could get those signals in. Well, and that's not saying what Dylan Moses thinks it's saying. Because... Even if it's true, it's not. But even if it was true, that means that Alabama did not change their signals from 2016 (laughs) when Jeremy Pruitt was the defensive coordinator to 2020 when the defense has completely changed hands and you've had four years to do it. And Nick Saban, the most attentive to detail coach in the sports history, has not changed his signals and checks on his defense in four years? No. 
Like, I refuse to believe that Alabama is incompetent like that because that's what that would be. So you are either unable to admit that you got out-schemed by a guy that you've never heard of in Jeff Lebby and old Trouble Lane Kiffin, and you're willing to admit that you're incompetent. That's all that is, and it's it's a bunch of BS, and everybody sees right through it, but I'm shocked that that came from Nick Saban's Alabama. Excuses like that. Here's how the game unfolded. Ole Miss scored first touchdown pass to Kenny Yaboa. Alabama a- answered touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, 7-7. Three-yard touchdown run from Jerry Neely, Ole Miss 14-7. Brian Robinson, one-yard touchdown run, tied at 14. Snoop Connor, two-yard touchdown run, Ole Miss 21-14. Najee Harris, five-yard touchdown run, 21-21. Ole Miss gets it back right before the half. They run it twice and are content to go to the locker room tied at 21. Third quarter, Najee Harris, 33-yard touchdown run, 28-21. Bama had their first lead of the game. Ole Miss answers, next drive, 68-yard touchdown pass. Kenny Yaboa tied at 28. Morse Forrestal, touchdown pass from Alabama, 35-28. Jerry Neely, nine-yard touchdown run, 35-35. That's as good a subtle juke move as you will see in your life. little dead leg, dead leg to the left and left to safety holding his job. Tied at 35. Najee Harris, three-yard touchdown run, 42-35 Bama. Snoop Conner, one-yard touchdown run, 42-42 with 11-31 to play. Bama goes up, 49-42, 16-yard, Najee Harris touchdown run. Ole Miss has to kick a field goal after they go for, I think this was the point, was that where they went from second and one to third and 19 after the errant snap, or was that earlier in the game? There was a couple of them, but I think that was one, yes. That's where Bama Uh, breaks serve, basically. The Alabama broke serve, 39-yard field goal from Luke Logan, 49-45. 14-yard rushing touchdown from Devontae Smith, 56-45. Minute 29 to play, Ole Miss kicks a field goal. And the reason they kicked a field goal there was it was a two-possession game. They were down 11 at that point. And you had a chance, put points on the board, get it back to a one-score game, and give yourself a chance, down 56-48. But then after getting a couple of stops on first and second down, on third down, Bama bounces it to the outside. Najee Harris goes 39 yards to the house, and Bama wins it by 15. 63-48. My question to you is this. Would Ole Miss have been better off going the Kevin Kelly route there and just onsiding it every time and going for two every time? Maybe not going for two every time, but yeah, kicking it onside every time. I mean, what what They had the one. They had it. It was in yeah, his hands. And and they he, actually yeah. threw a flag on that. And said was he, was he a little over? Luke Logan, it was illegal touching. It oh. was really, really, really That might have gotten overturned on, re- on replay. I thought he that's had That's the it. thing. I mean, if you recover it, that's going to replay, and then, you know, you, you see, as a result, since Alabama recovered it, regardless, it didn't matter. I thought yeah. that was a well-timed onside oh, kick it was, there. It was, but, was because smart, you weren't stopping them. Smart. Yeah. And, and the argument that I made on the air on Saturday night when we were talking about it was, I mean, What's the difference in Alabama going 75 yards and 55 yards? You're not stop, stopping them anyway. Exactly. If you, you get can't the ball stop back them, faster well, and you have more you time well to try. operate your offense, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun, and I thought the crowd was really good. There was some juice in their pregame. And it's one of those where, okay, Ole Miss scores first, and people are really excited, but you couldn't help but think about that game from a few years ago where Ole Miss scored first and then Bama ran, ran off like 60 unanswered. Yeah, it didn't happen. And I mentioned this earlier: the the overwhelming 
thought that people have had about the game was, man, that was fun. And I don't know how many people were there. I haven't seen an actual attendance number. You know, 16,000 is the max. Box score said over 14 for what it's worth. I, I was going to guess between, you know, 14, 15,000, somewhere in there. Really good student crowd that stayed for the entire game. Whole crowd stayed for the entire game. And then Lane Kiffin kind of was a little nonplussed after the game with the fact that the crowd stayed and stood and cheered for the team as they went off the field. And he's like, I mean, I appreciate it, but we didn't come here to get standing ovations after losses. Which is the right thing for a coach to say. Matt Corral has been exceptional. But what happened in the running game for Ole Miss on Saturday night I think might be the biggest positive. Tell you what I mean when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We're reviewing it all on this Monday. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. I mentioned before the break that as good as Matt Corral has been, maybe the biggest takeaway on Saturday was what you got out of the running game. For the first time under Nick Saban at Alabama, an opponent had two yard, uh, two backs rush for over 100 yards in a game. It's never happened. And both Jerry Ely and Snoop Connor went for over 100. Snoop Connor 21 carries for 128 and two touchdowns. Jerry Ely 19 for 120 and two touchdowns. Ole Miss is a team Ran it for 268 yards on Alabama. And as good as those two running backs are, to me, that speaks more to the offensive line. Yeah, they had plenty of room to run, and it's a far cry from last week where they they struggled up front last week against a team with worse personnel than Alabama has. And so that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> I know, right? Breaking. More yes. 11. Um, I am... I have unique opinions here, but seriously, I mean that that was the difference. It's <laughs> they had they had room to run against a better team, and, and that was something that I, we pointed out last week. Is Corral should have been sacked many more times, but he was elusive in the pocket, and they couldn't run the football. They've got to be multi-dimensional down the road in case Corral has an off night. He didn't, but still, it's a big thing moving forward, especially because you will not see a defense this talented for the rest of the year. Do you do you think that if we combine what Ole Miss did offensively and what State did defensively Saturday night, is there a team in the country that could have beaten them? No. I mean, Alabama's number two. No. No. Georgia? No. Clemson? I don't know. Yeah. We're not going back and making the argument for uh, the, the whole just – no, it's not an I argument. Think, it's just that, that I think, philosophical. I think that ship has sailed after a two hundred plus years. But uh, yeah, no. Yeah. But I, I mentioned that to uh, I guess when we were but in Lexington. Is. I think Harry Harrison and I were talking. I was like, "Can you imagine?" Yeah, I said it would be. He said it'd be kind of like what LSU is. It would be. I mean, this year especially. I mean, gosh, yeah. yeah. Oh well. Um. A lot of people are asking about Ben Brown and the snaps on the on the offensive line. That is obviously an issue. It did not burn Ole Miss against Florida. It did not burn Ole Miss against Kentucky, though at times Matt Corral looked like a shortstop, kind of scooping balls. This week it was more about high snaps. 
Uh, although there was the one where under center, Matt Corral trying to take the snap and it hits his shin. Um, and I don't know if that's a scenario where Ben Brown didn't realize he was under center or forgot and snapped it like it was a shotgun snap and, you know, whatever. Yeah, you, You've got to get that figured out, number one. Number two, and this isn't making an excuse, but Ben Brown hasn't been a center for very long. He's been the um, he's been the guy on the the opposite side of or not the he's been a guard right he made made the move from yeah. guard to center yeah when Eli Johnson opted out Ole Miss had no choice that offensive line group's done a good job and I thought it was most evident where they one of the plays they were Borky I guess this would have been in the third quarter where Ole Miss went left went left went left and just I mean, as quickly as they could get to the line of scrimmage, snapping it and the whipping the left side of the offensive line commenced. If we're remembering the same play sequence, I think if you go back and watch, the plays are basically identical. Yes. Like they just ran the same thing over and over again because it worked. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, takeaways from that game. What does this mean for Ole Miss going forward? What does it mean for Alabama going forward? I mean, Ole Miss, they'll be able to score on anybody. And luckily for them, they, they won't see another offense quite like this again, at least from a personnel perspective. But I think this is what they're going to be. I, I had a buddy text me on Saturday night. Why doesn't Durkin you know, try something else? Why, why don't they run press man coverage? And my reaction was, do you want that nine-play drive to be a one-play 90-yard drive? Because that's what you would get if you did that. They are just... There's nothing when I watch them that I think, in my untrained mind, they should do differently schematically. I think they're just simply at a point in their defense, and Todd McShay said the same thing after the game, they are just so lacking in personnel on that side of the ball, it's going to have to be where every week they're going to have to score 35, 40-something points to win games, and it's a multi-year recruiting out of it rebuild on defense. That's what was inherited by Lane Kiffin, and I don't think DJ Durkin can really do much about it. You get two plays. Ja'Cory Hawkins nearly came out with an interception on a really tough play. That would have stopped Alabama moving the ball offensively and would have done what Haydad referred to a second ago. That would have been Ole Miss breaking serve. Yeah. And then also you had a play where Ryder Anderson kind of stepped up on a, on a swing pass off to the right side and he kind of swatted it down with two hands. It would have been an unbelievably difficult play. But if you can get two hands on it, that's one where you go, wow, man, if you can snatch that out of the air, I'm not sure that defensive end, nose tackle, whatever it is he's classified is, goes 60 yards the other way with it. But he had a lot of room in front of him, and he would have covered a bunch of ground. I do think there's an interesting question going forward if you're Ole Miss. We'll ask that when we come back. We've got the college football fix coming your way. We'll look at what else happened in the Southeastern Conference. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We'll be right back. It brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Five o'clock hour with you on this Monday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Pat sends us a message on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. You can always hit us up there. 
says Saban backed off on his stealing the signals comment on Feinbaum today. That's good. Maybe you realized how stupid it was. He also says that Matt Corral took the blame for the snap on the ground under center, said he forgot to tell Ben Brown that he was going under center. <laughs> when do you it. do it so regularly, you better communicate that that is the case. And I guess somebody might say, hold on now, you, you didn't feel that a guy had his hands on your butt? <laughs> that's, not, that's not really how you take snaps under center, though. You're not feeling them around. I mean, you probably should give him a little pat, <laughs> should... but... You should feel something down there, speaking from experience on this one. You know his hands are there. You watch these, especially in the NFL, though, you watch these guys, and it, I mean, it's just barely there. I mean, they are, they are, they're way up. I mean, we are... Very, very light touch, very loving. What, what was that old quarter? He was a Big Ten quarterback. I don't even remember who he played for, but he would take the snap so low, his hand warmer would touch the ground. Because his his butt was that low to the well, ground that, when he was taking snaps. That used to be the way they teach it. They would teach a quarterback to almost squat behind the center, and you reached your hands like all the way up underneath. Yeah. And now it's it's very much not that at all. I mean, hands are kind of way at the back. So you stay low, so you can just explode into the handoff. That's all offenses used to be. That's a uh, that's a good point. Uh, C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. You want to be part of the conversation, that's a great way to do it. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. So I said I had this question for you. Um. How, if you are an Ole Miss fan or a Mississippi State fan, has your outlook for the remainder of the season changed? So think about who Ole Miss has played so far. They played Florida in the opener, really good. Go on the road to Kentucky, and then they play Alabama at home, really good. Who are you like legitimately afraid of and I am not, please, I, I am not saying that Ole Miss is going 7-0 and the rest of the way to finish 8-2. and That's not what I'm doing here. They may even lose a couple of games that you don't think they're supposed to lose. But is there anybody that you are legitimately concerned about the rest of the way, given how you've played against Florida and Alabama? Arkansas coming up. They're better. But I think most Ole Miss fans would tell you they think they should win. On Saturday, Auburn doesn't scare you the way maybe they once did. If you listen to Brian Haydad, then it shouldn't scare you at all. They're horrible offensively. Horrible. They are not good. Vanderbilt, obviously not an issue there. An open date. You get South Carolina at home. Feel like that's one you should win. Got to go to A&M. Is A&M going to be a roller coaster? Or are they going to play the way they played on Saturday for the rest of the way? I don't know the answer to that. I feel like that's them. I think if you're looking at the remaining schedule for Ole Miss, that's the game that is most difficult. I would agree with that. And then it's Mississippi State and LSU on the road to close it out. The problem for Ole Miss is this, to me anyway. Outside of Vanderbilt, they're going to beat Vanderbilt. But they're so bad defensively. They're going. If there's ever a game where the offense isn't clicking, it's a problem. Sure. This feels like showing up to the stadium to play Ole Miss. You know you're going to get 35 points. So if there's ever a day where Corrales turns the ball over, now he hasn't done it yet, and he's been playing really, really well. 
But if there's ever a day where he doesn't play well, it's it, Ole Miss is relatively easy to beat because they can't stop anybody. Flip side of that is nobody has shown that they can stop Ole Miss. Right, right. And if, if nobody's under any illusion that this defense is about to transition into something that's really, really good. I asked Lane Kiffin after the game, I said, you know, you know, going forward, I mean, what do you try defensively to just to kind of give yourself a chance? He's like, I, maybe we need to have a fan contest and see if anybody's got any ideas because I'm out. I'm out of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very honest about it. But so, so not pretending like the defense is going to transition into something that it's not, but if you have a game where Ja'Cory Hawkins or Jamar Richardson or Jaquez Jones or A.J. Finley or somebody jumps a couple of routes and you create a couple of turnovers, and to go back and again use your phrase, hey, Dad, break serve, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you, can, you can win almost any game. Yeah. What about for Mississippi have, State? Then we have Got the flip side of that coin. Well, we have, Ole, Ole Miss has played its two most difficult games of the season. Yeah. Mississippi State, in addition to Vanderbilt remaining, has A&M, who's coming off its best performance, mm-hmm. a road trip to Alabama, mm-hmm. Auburn, a road trip to Gainesville, and a Missouri team that all of a sudden looks competent in addition to the Egg Bowl. Athens. Yeah. Where did I say? You said Gainesville, whatever. Yeah, Athens. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks. But yeah, it's it's the opposite for me. It's you've got a defense that you feel will keep you in most games, but you can't move the football, and you keep turning it over. So if you ever have a game where the defense doesn't show up, you're never you have no chance of winning. Um, it's so funny with State. You think about two weeks ago when they beat LSU, and we were looking at the schedule like, man, they could you know win seven games. And now outside of Vanderbilt, where am I picking a win? Where am I confident that they can win? Even the Egg Bowl, which, you know, two weeks ago I stood straight up. I think State's a better team. Now, right now, I would say Ole Miss would be favored in that game. Now, Ole Miss, again, can't stop anybody, so if State shows up and actually decides to play offense, they could win the game. But Ole Miss would definitely be favored right now. And Missouri, you saw what they could do against LSU. And that that game has always sort of – troubled me is not the right word, but intrigued me because it's after the Egg Bowl and there's so much emotion I don't know how you how you how you play in that game. Do you come out flat? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but yes, I mean, right now, looking at state schedule outside of Vanderbilt, there's not one game where I could just feel comfortable saying, "Yeah, they're going to win that game." Yeah. Can the offense turn it around? Sure. Sure, they can. If they stop turning the ball over, sure. I, I, that's all. It, it really that's a simple yet complicated solution. Because I don't know what they're doing to make themselves turn turn the ball over, but if they could play cleaner, look, if you throw the ball 60, 70 times a game, there's going to be one interception. That's just that's just life. Seventy attempts, that's a lot of attempts. You're going to throw the ball to the wrong guy at least once, but six times can't happen, and and allowing pick sixes can't happen. They just can't. So they've got if they can just trim down on the turnovers, they could win this weekend. But they have to not give the ball to Texas A&M. What's going to be the mood in the stadium in Starkville this coming Saturday? It's a good question. You know, um, I think it'll be relatively positive, but or it, it, it'll, it'll turn quickly. Early. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go you go three and out the first three possessions, or you throw another interception, or you throw another pick six, God help you, it's going to be ugly <laughs> up in there. Yeah. Slate so of games coming come out, out this week. 
I was say if you come out and you're effective early and you can get on the board and you, you get a couple of stops defensively and you go at the end of the first quarter and it's seven nothing or ten nothing Mississippi State, everybody'll be into it. Yeah. Pretty good slate this weekend. Florida LSU. Georgia at Alabama. That's the CBS primetime game. They move this one to uh, to Saturday night. Kentucky at Tennessee, which I kind of think is a fascinating game. It is. Did, did you walk away from Mississippi State's game impressed with anything about Kentucky? Honestly, not really. I, I didn't think that they were very good. I, I think my, my first impression of them that they were going to be a good team this year was wrong. Hmm. Uh, just, I mean, they could not move the football on Mississippi State at all. Um, even with six turnovers, uh, they, 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 they weren't they, – I mean, they won by 22, but you would think a team with six turnovers would win by 40, and they didn't. Yeah. Um, I, just, I mean, they're just an average at best SEC team. So Kentucky at Tennessee is at 11 on SEC Network. Auburn, South Carolina is at 11 on ESPN. Ole Miss, Arkansas is at 2.30 on ESPN2. LSU, Florida is on ESPN. That one also kicks off at 2.30. Is Florida just – is that going to be a shootout? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The over-under I saw was 70.5. I would definitely take the over on that. It's like 45-35. Both defenses are terrible. They should fire whoever loses on Monday as far as defensive coordinators go. A&M at Mississippi State, 3 o'clock SEC Network, Georgia, Alabama, 7 o'clock on CBS. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. Borky and Haydad going to carry you the rest of the way on this Monday. Quick timeout. And more after this. I think we need to spend more time on this than we did earlier. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad with you. You got a take from the weekend. We'd love to hear from you. 601-879-4395 is the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. No guests on Mondays, but don't forget all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. The end of the Arkansas-Auburn game. Um, fast forward all the way to the end. Hey, Dad, from your perspective, so Bo Nix tries to spike a ball down two. He drops the snap, right. proceeds to pick up the football, turn sideways, and spike it, yeah. which is okay, except for he spiked it backwards. Right. Ball goes behind him, bounces around a little bit. Arkansas player notices it immediately. Runs and dives on the football. However, Auburn kind of looked at it for a second. Official whistle came in. They ruled. They basically stopped play. And because of that, and there was no, quote, immediate recovery, Auburn got to keep the football, kicked the game-winning field goal, and won the game. What were your thoughts here? That they got screwed, and then the SEC basically admitted to that about an hour after the game with their incredibly weak statement 
that uh, that the, the they had made the wrong call, but there was no way of fixing it. Here, there needs to be a reset button with these things. Like we made the wrong call, we have to fix it. Here's the because statement, if yeah. you want to hear it. During the third down play at 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the officials on the field sounded their whistles and blew the play dead as they deemed the passer illegally grounded the ball to conserve time as governed by Rule 732F. During the subsequent replay review, there is conclusive video evidence that the pass was backwards. However, because recovery of the football was not clearly made in the immediate continuing football action, the ruling on the field was determined to stand under Rule 12.3-whatever. Both the determination of backwards pass and the immediate clear recovery are required to reverse the ruling on the field. Just because... Now, help me out. Maybe people know more about officiating than I do. Certainly somebody out there does. But what constitutes a clear and immediate recovery? Because the Arkansas player... Diving on the ball as soon as it was on the ground was immediate recovery. But what do I know? He saw it right away and dove on it immediately. Why? I mean, if they don't blow the, blow the play dead, every player around the ball for Auburn was still just standing around. The Arkansas player noticed it immediately. The second he spiked the ball, he went after it because he, w- he has a really high football IQ, obviously, and it just hit him that that ball's backwards. He spiked it backwards. And he don't want it right away. The Auburn players, no matter if the whistle was blown or not, weren't going to try. So what is the clear and immediate recovery? Because there was a player on that field that recovered the football that knew right away that ball is backwards and he dove on it right away. So what difference does it make if Auburn didn't recognize it but the Arkansas player did? What, what bothers me is this. The officials are supposed to go by the rule of if it's questionable, don't blow the whistle. Let the play play out, and we can always go back and, re- and do it. This happened at Auburn for Mississippi State three years ago, a play where uh, I believe Jeff Simmons strips the ball. It falls into Montez Sweat's hands. He takes it back for a touchdown, but no, the rest are saying, no, no, we, we had ruled it. He was down or whatever. And Now, it didn't make a difference in that game. State lost 49-10. to 10. But for, for to happen again, it's just inexcusable. Do you know that the rule is questionable, let, let let the play run, you can always go back and review it. And I don't think anybody gets upset if you go back and review it and go, oh, no, he did throw the ball forward, it's incomplete. But they didn't, and they, they end up costing an Arkansas team a game. In this day and age of college football, one win is worth millions of dollars. It's the difference between going to bowl games and not. Maybe not in this COVID year, but in a regular year. And if Arkansas had finished 5-7 and seven in a regular year instead of 6-6, six and six, I mean, what does that do? Because these guys can't get the basic. You're standing right there. All you got to do is do your job. And they cannot, they are not capable of doing it. Murray and Madison says, refs blew the call, period. Arkansas lost because of that call. It was a backward spike. Look at the video. Simple Bo Nix knew immediately and started pleading his case. And we get a question, can you spike a fumble? So I don't think so, right? If you're going to spike the ball, it has to be fluid. If you drop it and like you back up some, right. you can't spike it because then it becomes intentional well, grounding. Right, yeah, I believe that's correct. The same reason you can't spike the ball out of the shotgun. You know, there's just certain there's certain rules surrounding this play. But at the same time, if you fumble the ball, pick it up and then throw a pass, that's not an illegal. So I don't know if that's the case or not. But that said, 
it doesn't matter. It was clearly, clearly a lateral, a backwards pass. And I, mean, I, I, I don't like it, you know, like Rip, one of our four, I don't know if I should say his name on the air, but you know who I'm talking about. He used to give us grief about the Saints and how, you know, that we, we used to complain about that penalty and how that cost the Saints the game. And you want to talk about, well, all these other things happened that you could have done. It doesn't matter when one call is obvious at the end, it makes that much difference. When that, yeah, Arkansas could have stopped this or stopped that and done this. It doesn't matter. If the refs make the right call, the game is over right there. Yeah, and it should only be the play on the field that dictates the outcome and nothing more. Randy, Arkansas got hosed, plain, plain and simple, typical Auburn home cooking. Um, I mean, Tank Bigsby was good. Arkansas's well, got personnel issues, but man, shout out to Sam Pittman. It may never work. I mean, who knows? Barry Odom, I, I It's going to work. I think it's going to work. I don't know. I'm not talking about them being SEC West champions, but they're going to be a consistent winner again. It, it won't be two and ten, two and ten. It should be two and one right now, if they just get that correctly. Uh, we get this text here. Uh, I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. It says, "Just wanted to say that I'm tired of sports talk bashing Ole Miss all the time and promoting Mississippi State. It's almost like the liberal media taking out Trump and Biden." I have listened to the show for years, but it's gotten too one-sided for me. Okay. So far today, we have talked extensively about Mississippi State's quarterbacks turning the football over in awful situations. We have talked about Mississippi State's offense at length today being bad. And uh, rush three, drop eight should not be working to this degree, but Mississippi State's offensive line is bad. Uh, The quarterback play has been bad. The decision-making has been bad. We played audio where it sounds like a coach is very displeased with the effort he's getting from his team and also mentioning a purge. We have also talked about today that Ole Miss offensively is elite. That Ole Miss offensively is the reason why they scored 48 points against Alabama and nothing more. That Matt Corral is a high-level, elite-level quarterback with weapons all over the field. We talked about how this is the first time ever that a Nick Saban defense has allowed two players to rush for over 100 yards. We also talked about how the two fan bases feel very differently about their teams because Ole Miss is fun, exciting, and looks like they're on a forward trajectory. And Mississippi State right now offensively is a disaster. What are you hearing? Some days there is going to be higher praise for one or the other. That is going to happen. Even I'm over here saying how good Ole Miss was offensively. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know what that guy wants, man. I I don't quite get it, man. And I appreciate you listening. I really do. But today, there are days where you could give that criticism. And there are days where you could do the opposite and give the opposite criticism. But I don't know if today is that day where where it's propping up Mississippi State and bashing Ole Miss. Today is not that day. I don't know what we – I can talk about the defense a little bit, but what, what positive MSU stuff have we really said? And what always cracks me up is when coaches say something and you basically, I'm not, maybe not this guy, but coaches will say something and you'll say basically the same thing and the fans get mad at you. We had, I think it was last year or the year before, we got sent, I got sent an email too from the same person, but they sent us a long text into the show about why do you only talk about Ole Miss's defense being bad? Why can't you look at the positive? It's like, well, the coaches are telling you there's nothing good. So why do you want us to do it when your coaches are telling you it's bad? Never understood those people either. I don't know. I'm not going to worry about it. What station is he listening to? That's from Tim and McGee. I don't know. I, 
He's got Colin Cowherd on or something. I don't know who's on right probably. now. Probably. I mean, Ole Miss defensively is a multi-year rebuild. Everybody has said that, including the coach. But, I mean, we just wrapped up a segment where everybody on this show agreed that every game that Ole Miss has moving forward is a winnable football game. They're not going to win them all. Nobody's predicting that, but... That's a one and two football team, and we're here saying that every game remaining is winnable. And you're telling us that. And we said that for Mississippi State, probably only Vanderbilt is a game you would feel comfortable picking them to win. I don't get it. But hey, we're, we are glad you're listening. We really are. But you, you may want to listen a little closer. We'll look at the rest of the SEC. Interesting stuff this weekend. My gosh, the early slate, as Haydad said earlier. Fascinating. And we'll get, to, we'll get to all that coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. All right, a bunch of your texts coming through, so we're not going to waste any time. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky and Brian Haydad. Here's the first one. I'll get out of the way for Haydad on this one, but I do want to say, first of all, to this text, I feel like this is the beginning of the Croom administration again. Oh. So... And fans were were frustrated on the Sunday show yesterday as well, and I certainly hear your frustration. Not scoring any points against Kentucky is frustrating. Throwing six interceptions is frustrating. Being Arkansas's first win in in 20 tries is really frustrating, but we did spend a significant amount of time this summer telling you that this was possible. The LSU game blinded me and a lot of people to what the reality of Mississippi State's situation is. It doesn't take away that there was no spring practice. That COVID did affect off-season workouts. That this is a 10-game SEC schedule. And that it is an entire philosophy shift within your program. I'm not ready to write the obituary on Mike Leach yet. Because at Texas Tech, it took a little bit. At Washington State, it took longer. But it ended up working. And with somebody like him, even though the SEC is a different animal, and right now, these last two weeks have been rough. He's got the track record that tells you that you should at least give him the opportunity and the, not respect, that's not a bad word, but the, the, the patience required to completely shift the identity of a program, which is what he's doing right now. Mississippi State has been always run, never pass, right? That's the fun hashtag. Yeah. Physical, yeah. running football team. It's dramatically different. The, the receiver core is not where it needs to be yet. The quarterbacks are turning the football over. It's going to take some time. It's frustrating. I know it. It's really frustrating. But I think he has bought enough capital in his career that says you should give him time to show you whether or not it's going to work, and I will get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, the thing to remember is this. Mike Leach has been a head coach for 18 years. He's been to a bowl game 16 times. Uh, He took two programs in Texas Tech and Washington State, which were perennial losers, and turned them into perennial winners. Texas Tech, since he left, has not been anywhere near what it was when he was there. Uh, I don't know about Washington State yet. We'll have to see. Um, And he's done it with you know less talent than he has at Mississippi State at every stop. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bumpy road this year, and I'm certainly off on how I thought the offense versus defense thing would play out. But I will say this, he's going to get the offense figured out because that's what he's always done before. He's got a highly rated quarterback committed. He's got a better wide receiver class than Mississippi State has signed in my lifetime committed to him right now. Uh, the, the offense is going to continue to get better. And then with Zach Arnett, you know, if you're Mississippi State, you're going to have to make some sort of commitment to him because he's obviously very, very good. 
Uh, and then, you know, if you can sort of play if, – if Mike Leach can have defenses, then you, you've really got something there. I understand it's frustrating right now, and like I said earlier in the show, you know, beating LSU skyrocketed everybody's expectations that in year one this was about to take off. Even mine. I thought I was going to be like, man, if they can do this to LSU, week three we've seen not only what Mississippi State has become, but what LSU has become. They're not good defensively at all. And so what happened that day in, in – in, in Baton Rouge, you know, it, it, there's some there's some there's some shine rubbed off of that, no question about it. But to compare it to the Croom era is a is a very b- bad idea. Sylvester Croom was a guy who had no idea how to coach college football, didn't have the the passion for recruiting that you need. Not that Leach is a elite recruiter, but he at least understands how the game works. And 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 Croom wanted to run an offense that was so complicated that. You know, it's it couldn't possibly be done. He had guys like Omar Connor and Jarius Norwood. If you just go, if they had hired Dan Mullen in two thousand four, they might have immediately been back in a bowl game. But they had a guy, hired a guy who wanted to turn Omar Connor into a pocket passer. Bad, bad comparison. Uh, we get a text here. If you take half the turnovers away, they might be three and zero. Oh. They at least yeah. win one more game, and it's last no week question. especially. But yeah, no question. So, and again, that is happening. So you know, ifs and buts. But still, it's. It's always, it always was going to be a tough year, and it's just bearing fruit right now. Does not mean it was a bad hire or anything uh, long term. Blake and Matheson says, uh, "I've watched Coach Leach, Coach Leach too long, and uh, he's done too much to write him off. After three years, yeah. and we suck. Okay, that's different, but now is uh, is not the time. If if they're not better offensively next season, then you you can wonder about it." Big Daddy in Greenwood uh, wants to know how Dollar Bill's been holding up. He's not playing great. Right tackle has been a little. I think he actually had to come out of the game uh, Saturday night. So, the, but it's not just him. The offensive line as a group has not been good these past two weeks. Dickie Frazier says Auburn should be zero and three. Refs won them the two games that they did wrong? win. I, they did get lucky against Kentucky. I didn't mean to rhyme, but they did. They got lucky against Kentucky. They like did. That. Touchdown was wiped off the board. That should not have been. He also, yeah, think he's a Kentucky fan listening to us. So we appreciate you uh, being with us. He says, "I feel like my cats got lucky on Saturday. I think four interceptions in the end zones, probably a few winches on all those four picks from winning that game." Yeah, Kentucky fan listening. Appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, State had two balls that going either going into or thrown into the end zone that turned into interceptions. Yeah, so it's a total, totally different game. Also, that safety turned around that should have been. I thought that it was a safety, you know. It, but that's the breaks. Would you know? You either get the breaks or you 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 have to you know fight back from them. State didn't do a good job of doing that. The turnovers are just, whew, it's killing them uh, right now. I know Connor and Ely put up great numbers on Saturday. This is from Evan. But do you think Plumley could also be used more in the run game? That's a good question and one, one that, you, yeah. that we're going to get a lot. But here's what I would say. There are You're not the only one. There are a lot of people asking, you know, what do you do with Plumlee now? He should get more touches, involve him in the offense more. And my response would be, the number two team in the country was just in Oxford. You threw for 380 yards and ran for 270. You had two backs go for over 100 yards. When you put Plumlee in the game, that means you either take a, a snap away from one of college football's most efficient quarterbacks through three games, or you take carries away from those two backs. 
So that's the difficulty with putting Plumlee in the game. That means if you line him up at quarterback, that Matt Corral, who's throwing it all over the field at a level that is as high or higher than everybody in college football, away. And if you give him a carry, that means Ely doesn't get one. And that means Snoop Connor doesn't get one. That's the question is, where do you fit him in? Because fitting him, mean, fitting him yeah. in means you're taking something away from those three guys, and I don't think you want to do that. Yeah, and that's, you know... It's a problem a lot of teams have faced in the past. You know, you just have to find a way. I honestly think that for Plumlee at this point, I mean, would he be willing to go to defense? Because Lord knows you need help over there. Could he play safety or corner or something like that? He's certainly a great athlete. Speed is not a problem. What can you do with him? I think that with with Plumlee, and and this is sort of funny. Last week I was on the uh, Chuck Oliver show. Now, I cover Mississippi State, but his last question to me was about Plumlee. (laughs) <laughs> but he had asked me about Schrader earlier in the interview, and I said, you know, the, uh, sort of the same thing. Schrader and Plumley, who, you know, were the darling, they both started the Egg Bowl, two true freshmen. Those are the future of these two programs. Now look at them, you know, three weeks into this season. They both have to have a conversation with themselves. Do I want to play at Mississippi State and Ole Miss, or do I want to play quarterback? And if the answer is I want to play Mississippi State and Ole Miss, well, Schrader's already at receiver. We'll see where that goes, and Plumley has to do what he has to do. Or if they want to play quarterback, well, then it, you know, the, the transfer portal is always there for you. I suspect there's going, especially with the uh, free year of eligibility, the transfer portal is going to be fruitful for both Ole Miss oh, and it's Mississippi be State incredible. this offseason. And like we talked about earlier in the show, when, when with Leach talking about a purge or whatever, I mean, at the end of the season, there's going to be some guys leave for sure that you know you didn't expect, and because they all have an extra year of eligibility, it'll work out for them. But I expect I would expect Mississippi State to lose five, six, seven guys that on the current roster that aren't you know seniors, and then they'll go to the transfer portal to, to replace them. Specifically, guys probably playing. If I had to guess, you know, wide receiver is for is one. State will their, their tight ends will go on. Brad Cumbus will probably he'll, he might stay and, and play baseball, but I don't. I mean, he hasn't been on the field for for football. I don't think. Uh, same with Dante Jones. Uh, so Jaquarius Spivey, sort of the same thing. They'll probably go on, and then you'll find some some more wide receivers, a couple of more offensive linemen, and then you sort of go from there. And then you got to make a decision with you know, do you really feel good about Will Rogers? Do you want to go with Sawyer Robertson, or should you go look for another transfer quarterback? I don't think that's the case. I think they want to move forward with a young guy and start building that. But you never know. If there's a if there's a can't miss guy out there, you know, DJ whatever his name is decides I don't like it here at Clemson. Sure, go after him. <laughs> Rob asks uh, or says receivers need to learn at Mississippi State how to sit down in zone coverage. Quarterback needs to know and be on the same page. I think most of the issues when it comes to rush three, drop eight for Mississippi State, well, it's two things. Offensive line's not able to protect three, and that's a huge problem. And Costello's forcing the ball where it doesn't belong. Yeah. I think the receivers, they're finding some open spots. If you watch the film, watch the replays, there are guys running open. It's The quarterbacks aren't finding them. That's what the biggest problem is so far. And another question about Plumlee playing receiver. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's possible. Uh, can he catch? But who are you going to line him up ahead of? Elijah right. Moore? No. Jonathan Mingo? No. I, I, you know, and you use a tight end like a receiver. So th- that's the biggest question right now. Is it, you you've got to force it or or take touches away from people that are lighting defenses up right now. So I, I think you're more likely to see his usage rate be what it was on Saturday, which is just not a whole lot because there's just nowhere to fit him. 
what happens when you're playing so well on that side of the ball. It's it's only one football to go around. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.